Well, welcome again, everyone. Welcome, everybody that's joining us online today. We're so glad you could connect with us there. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love our campus there. We're so thankful for that campus and all the good things God is doing there. And today we join with you here at the Antioch Campus and all of us joining you online and celebrating another pastor. Our campus pastor at Smyrna Campus today, Mike Swartz, celebrates 20 years of service with Lakeshore Christian Church. Congratulations, Mike. We love you. Love your family. So thankful that you're here. Becky and the kids, you're such a blessing to us. Thank you uh, for all that you do for Lakeshore Christian Church and have done throughout the years. He started out as a middle school pastor for us and then transitioned into being our campus pastor uh, over there at the Smyrna campus. Does a terrific job. I also wanted to take a minute. Uh, I'm still kind of on a high, still kind of excited. Some of you are thinking Georgia game, but yeah, that's part of it, but that's not all it is. All right. If you saw our trunk, my wife and I had a trunk, Georgia, Florida trunk. She's a Florida fan. <laughs> that's a prayer need, all right? But Georgia won. But anyway, that's not what I'm so excited about, okay? Uh, I am excited, but that's not all. What I'm really excited about is in spite of the cold, wet weather, we went ahead with Trunk or Treat at both campuses yesterday, and it was a phenomenal success at both campuses. And I want to thank all of our staff and volunteers, everybody that contributed to that, that donated candy, everybody that helped out in any way. You guys rocked it, and it made a difference connecting with our community. Let's thank everybody that helped with that. Well over a thousand families between both campuses that were blessed and that we connected with. We're just so grateful for that. Thank you for helping us be good for our community in that way. Well, last week we started a brand new message series called Worldview. And we talked last week about why this is an important deal, what worldview you have. It does make a difference. In fact, your worldview, it really helps or, or directs every other choice you make, uh, the direction of your life, how you react and respond to people and to events in your life. Your worldview impacts your whole life in every way. And, and we talked about how last week, we, we talked about how it's important for us as Christ followers to have the worldview God wants us to have. But more than that, it's not just about us, but how we've been given a responsibility to pour into the generations coming behind us, to help them develop the worldview that God would want them to have. I don't think we've done the job we should have done with that recently in our country. And I think we can do better. And I think we need to challenge ourselves and each other to do a better job of making sure we're pouring in to the generations coming behind us. That's why I am so grateful for everybody at Lakeshore that works with or supports our children's ministries programs and our youth ministries programs here, they are so vitally important to helping these young people grow up and mature and, and establish a worldview that God would want them to have. But it, but it won't happen, remember, just from our programs here. Parents, grandparents, other adults need to get involved outside of the, the programs at church to help keep pouring into our young people. Well, if it's that important, then today I wanted to spend the message time with with what a biblical worldview looks like. What is a biblical worldview? There was a little girl who went to her mom and asked her that question that kids often ask, you know, where, where did we all come from? How did we get here? Well, the mom didn't, she thought she was a little young to be talking about the reproductive side, so she went to the creation side. She said, well, 
In the beginning, God created us. He created Adam and then created Eve. And through them, all people came to be on the earth that are here now. She thought that was a pretty good answer. A couple of days later, she went to her dad. She said, Dad, how did we all get here? How did people get here? He said, well, millions and billions of years ago, there were these monkeys, and over time, there were gradual changes that took place, and we evolved over time until finally, they became human beings and developed as human beings. She kind of shook her head, looked a little confused. She went back to her mom and said, Mom, I just got a question. I don't understand this. I'm confused. When I asked you where we came from, you said God created us. When I asked Dad where we came from, he said we evolved from monkeys. How, how do you explain that? She said, it's not that hard. When you asked me that question, I told you about my side of the family. <laughs> he was telling you about his side. <laughs> Worldview, right? Worldview matters. Because it, it starts with who we are, what our purpose is, where we come from, and where we're going, and what life is all about. Your worldview matters. And the worldview of the generations coming behind us matters. And so I want to talk about today four pillars, I call them, of a biblical worldview. Remember we talked last week that there are really only two main categories of worldview. There's the secular worldview, and there's the biblical worldview. The secular worldview, uh, I was thinking about how to best encapsulate the secular worldview, and I thought of a song that was popular when I was just a baby, okay, just a youngster. Uh, it was by John Lennon. He wrote it, and it was called Imagine, and it's a beautiful song. The music part of it is just so beautiful, and he, he's a good singer. He did a great job with the song. They were already famous as the Beatles, so as soon as he released it, it became a, a top hit, you know, uh, when he released this song, Imagine. But Imagine is exactly a secular worldview, the song is. I want you to hear the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Think about that, how people are living today. It went on to say, imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will, uh, will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Here's the problem. A secular worldview takes God out completely. It takes accountability out completely. It takes eternity out completely. It disconnects completely from the source of where we came from. And it and it's based on the idea that we human beings are supreme and we can get everything worked out ourselves. That we can just start loving each other and getting along and stop all the fighting and all the wars and everything will be good. We can just all get along. You know what else it leaves out? The sin nature of man. The sin nature of man will completely destroy that worldview every time. You see... John Lennon wasn't the first one to come up with that idea. 
It's been around a long, long time since before the church ever got started. People had that worldview already that there was no God, There's, that, we, that we human beings are supreme and we can fix everything ourselves. And how good a job have we done with that? There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been fighting and stealing and corruption. There's always been lying and cheating. It's always been there. You see, human beings can't fix these problems on our own. And that's why a secular worldview is so dangerous and why we can't allow our children to grow up and think that's the worldview they ought to have. Because it will cause pain and suffering and heartache to all those coming behind us if they really buy into that worldview. And God loves us too much to leave us there. So he gives us the information we need to say, look, here's a biblical worldview. I'm going to give you this information, this evidence, this testimony so that you can have something that you can hold on to to give you hope and a purpose and strength beyond yourselves to live in this world and look forward to eternity together. I want to begin with a passage from Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Because in this one passage, I see he touches on the four pillars of a biblical worldview. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Four pillars of a biblical worldview. He talked about the first one early on in that passage, creation. That God made the world good. See, a biblical worldview begins with Genesis 1.1. It says it pretty clearly, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right away, he proclaims that there is God. Right away, he proclaims that God is a creator God. And that creator God created everything we know that exists. It came from him. He's the source of all of those things. Way before evolution, there were people who believed that and didn't believe that, you know, the teaching of evolution. There were people who believed there was God. There were people who didn't believe there was God. There were people who tried to explain the existence in a lot of other ways other than God because they sometimes didn't want to believe in God. So they came up with their own stories, their own ideas, their own theories about how everything came into existence from nothing. And it was there now. In recent history, that theory of evolution came along as one of those explanations of how things came into being. And I'm not one of those pastors that think science and the Bible are enemies. Science and Christianity are enemies. I don't believe that at all. I think science sometimes gets some things right, and I'm so thankful for that. They do a great job 
I'm thankful for the advancements of science that allow me to to uh, be cared for, right, physically, right, if I'm sick or something. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? That, that's a, a wonderful blessed Science has done so many good things. They've been able to discover and, and figure out how some things work, and it's been really, so I'm not anti-science in any way whatsoever. But I also know that science is a study and a practice where if they do it honestly, they began to dig and look for evidence, and sometimes new evidence comes up. Sometimes different things come up that they discover that change scientific views over time. And sometimes, I believe, it leads them to a good place. Sometimes, I think, the evidence can be misunderstood or misinterpreted and lead them to a wrong place. So I'm not anti-science. I just don't put all my hope and trust just in science, right? I, I think science is fallible. I think scientists are fallible. And one of the things that I think should cause us to question not just evolution, but lots of things in science is that today for science, for scientists to be well-funded and, and be able to do what they want to do, they have to get a lot of money from a lot of sources to do that. Now, anytime you have the desire to be funded driving your research, then the people that fund you, you know where they want it to go. It's easy to allow that to influence how you interpret evidence and ideas that you see out there. Because your funding depends on it being a certain way. Now, not every scientist gives into that or is driven by that. I understand that, and I'm, and I'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything. I'm just saying that we see, because of the sinful nature of man, that greed and the desire to have more can sometimes drive us to make decisions that aren't really the honest, right decisions to make. So for that reason, among others, just the fact that there's human error too, and the fact that they don't have all the evidence a lot of times, I just don't put all my hope and trust in what science is saying all the time. I look at it, I, I analyze it, and I act on what I believe is the best information that I've got, but I want you to understand as Christ followers, there is a growing movement within the scientific community right now, not necessarily to embrace the creation story of Genesis, but to question Darwinian evolution. It's being questioned more and more in the world of science than I've ever seen it questioned in my lifetime. Because the evidence, especially archaeological evidence, fossil evidence, is just not backing it up like they thought it would. If it worked the way Darwin thought it was going to work. See, Darwin was working with a lot less evidence when he came up with that theory than what we have now. He wasn't a bad person. He was working on the evidence that he had. And he came up with a theory that he thought fit the evidence that he had then. But there's so much more evidence that's come along since then. I mean, look at how we could. They used to think a cell was three parts. Not that long ago. And a cell is hundreds of thousands of parts. And we can see that now that we couldn't see it before, right? And what a lot of scientists are beginning to conclude is that the idea that things happen randomly, no matter how much time you got, that would lead to the order and complexity we see today, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And I'm not claiming to be an expert on this. I, I try to read what experts say. And uh, experts disagree on this. 
But there's a growing movement within the world of science that says not necessarily there's God and that God created things, but that this couldn't be explained by the theory we have now with the complexity of it, no matter how much time we've got to allow for it. I'm just saying don't just swallow everything that is put out there without looking at it in light of what the Bible says about things, okay? Because you've got to decide your worldview. Is it going to be a secular worldview where God can't be part of it? That's the secular worldview. Or are you going to have a biblical worldview that says God was the designer, creator that the Bible says that he is? Which worldview are you going to function off of? In Colossians 1, verse 16, remember, he said this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, and not just through him, but for him. That's a big statement there. See, everything that has been created by God was created for God. That changes how you look at the world. It changes how you look at people. It changes how you look at caring for yourself and others and relationships. It changes everything because it's all supposed to be done in light of this is all for God, our creator. So a biblical worldview, the first pillar or foundation is your view of creation. Did God create the world, the heavens and the earth or not? And if you take that out, then you cannot have a biblical worldview. You can't. That's foundational to a biblical worldview. It doesn't mean you can't study evolution and learn more about it and, and, and even pass every test they give you in college on evolution. doesn't mean you, you, you can't learn that stuff, right? But it does mean that you can't take God out of the equation if you're going to have a biblical worldview. You can't leave him out. There is a creator designer behind it all. No matter how you think he did it, he did it. The second pillar is rebellion. Sin made the world groan. See, the Bible gives us in Genesis 3 an account of those first people that God created according to Scripture, right? Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 6, when the woman saw, remember God gave them these instructions, you can eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden except what? One tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat the fruit from that tree. Imagine how much free reign they had. People read that and they think, oh, look at God being mean and restricting his people. Think about this. He gave them everything they needed without that tree. They didn't need that tree. They didn't need the fruit from that tree because they had plenty of fruit everywhere else. He said, but I want you because I've commanded you, because I've instructed you not to eat fruit from that tree. Well, we know the story in Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So who's the root of all the trouble now? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my biblical, right? Biblical worldview. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We know that Satan, through the serpent, deceived Eve, questioned God, 
Eve was deceived and bought into it and ate of the fruit. But don't let Adam off the hook. He was supposed to be leading the woman. And when the woman offered him the fruit, what did he do? He ate it too. See, he was supposed to be protective of the woman and a good teacher and a leader. And he didn't do it. And they both ate the fruit. And because of that, if you go on and read in Genesis 3, a curse came on the earth. The curse involved not just Adam and Eve, not just people. I want you to go back and read it. It, it involved the whole earth and everything in it, everything on it. Uh, it says that the woman was going to have increased pain in childbirth. He's not saying there wasn't any pain before. That's not what that verse says. He wasn't saying it was a breeze before this, but it was easier. It wasn't as painful until the curse. And now there's greater increased pain in childbirth. I've witnessed that firsthand twice in person. I even participated in it. My wife squeezed my hand so hard when she was delivering our first child, it brought me to my knees. It, it literally brought me to my knees. They had me back there with her and wanted me to help calm her down. And I was holding her hand and, oh, man, I never knew somebody like that could have that kind of grip. You know, was, she's not a big woman, but, man, she brought me to my knees. Increased pain in childbirth. The man, he said, uh, you're going to have to work harder to raise food and have, make a living. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be harder than it's ever been before. You see, he was already working the garden before that. That's what the scripture says. They were put there to work and care for the garden. But it wasn't that hard until the curse. Then he said there's going to be thorns and all kinds of stuff you're going to have to deal with. How many of you have realized that we ought to just decide to celebrate weeds because they're much easier to grow? <laughs> right? Instead of trying to kill them, let's just celebrate them and embrace them, right? Because, man, I don't care what you're trying to grow that's good. Weeds will always try to come in there and take over. And, uh, and I've, I've had some gardens and stuff like that. And it's just constantly weeding, getting the weed. It's just constantly. It never goes away. You're, if you're going to raise food, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you're going to do it. It's just the way it's going to happen. Any person that's worked as a farmer or worked on a farm, you know the constant effort that it takes to raise the crops and we try to come up with ways to make it easier and weed killers and all that and then we have problems with the weed killer right it's, it's just complicated it's hard it's part of the curse it's part of the curse and part of the curse is the whole earth is groaning because God made it good but sin corrupted everything on it so everything was hurt by and suffers under the curse of sin and instead of just blaming Adam and Eve, remember Romans 3.23, all have what? Sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all contributed to the problem, every one of us. We all sin. And when we sin, the curse continues, and it keeps hurting and causing suffering and pain. That's what a curse does. And the curse of sin is hard. You see, there wasn't even any death before sin. And now what do we all have to face with family and friends and loved ones and even ourselves? We all have to face walking on the earth in the valley of the shadow of what? Death. That's sin. That's the curse of sin. Was it going to be there in God's perfect creation? 
Sin brought that. I always get almost a little angry when people start blaming God for the evil in the world, when that wasn't God's creation or his design or his plan. The evil in the world is us and our fallen sinful nature and the curse of sin in the world. That's the evil in the world. That's why it exists. That's why it's there today in our world. So let's not blame God for us. We made the choices. We committed the sins. We brought the suffering into existence in this created order of things that God gave us. We hurt everything with our sin. That's also why it really concerns me that the church in America and other parts of the world today and so many leaders in the church make so light of sin. Like it's no big deal. Like you're a hater if you call people out on it and ask them to change anything and repent of something. Like it's a bad thing to do. When in fact the most loving thing you can do is to call them out of their sin. Because you're calling them out of pain and heartache and destruction when you do that. We need to call people away from sin. We need to call ourselves away from our sins. So a biblical worldview has the first pillar of creation, the second pillar of rebellion. The third pillar of this worldview, biblical worldview, is salvation. Ta-da! Good news, finally, right? Good news! Salvation. Jesus made atonement for sin. God, in his love for his created order of things, did not want to leave us under the curse of sin. He could have easily made that choice. And let us suffer all the consequences of sin. But instead, in his love, in his plan for us, he decided to send his son Jesus here to make payment on our behalf for sin, to release us from the bondage and the curse of sin, which includes death and all the pain that comes with it. He didn't want us to have to be overcome and conquered by our sinful choices. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In fact, the scripture says, before the foundation of the world, he was already the lamb that was slain. Think about that for a moment, the love that God had. That he would go ahead and create the world and Adam and Eve, knowing we were going to do what? And knowing that in order... To pay for our sin, what was he going to have to do? Send his son Jesus here to die for us. And he created us anyway. That's how loving God is. That's how much God wants a relationship with you and me. Is that he would go ahead and make us knowing his son would have to die for us. When he did it. And committing to that ahead of time. Not waiting till after the fact. You know, God wasn't surprised by our sin or the curse of sin. He knew it before it happened, and he still did the creation. He still formed us, made us, gave us our lives, knowing that his son Jesus would have to die for us when he did that. It's amazing the way God loves his creation. The most 
famous passage in the Bible is John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He's showing the two choices there. Perish is a word that means to be, uh, to suffer all the consequences that come with sin and the curse of sin, death and suffering and pain. You don't have to have that. You can have the other option is eternal life made possible through God sending his son Jesus here. If you put your faith and your trust in him, you don't have to suffer the eternal consequences of sin anymore. God's provided a way for us to be saved from our sins. Good news indeed, right? Great news, amazing news that God would bring salvation through his son, Jesus. Jesus made atonement for sin. He, he had no sin. That's why he was able to be a substitute for us. Had he committed sin, which is what Satan was trying to get him to do the whole time, he was here, right? Had he committed sin, he could never have been the atoning sacrifice for us, the one who made payment for someone else, because he would have had sin of his own to pay for. Only someone without sin could do that for us. And the Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way like we are, yet without sin. Can you imagine that? You see, Jesus was in the flesh like us. Do you know how hard it is to resist sin in your life? In my life? And yes, yeah, Satan comes after us too, and he puts temptations in front of us. We sometimes think Jesus didn't have to deal with that, but Jesus dealt with that every single day of his life in the flesh. His flesh had the same desires our flesh has. His flesh was attracted to and tempted by the same stuff we are attracted to and tempted by. And yet for us, he resisted all of those temptations so that he could take our place on that cross and pay for our sins for us. It's an amazing foundational pillar for a biblical worldview. It's what God's love did for us through Jesus. You see, if you disconnect from God, you don't ever accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's why we can't let our children disconnect from God, friends. Our grandchildren, the generations coming behind us. It's too big a price to pay because they'll never know salvation in Christ if they disconnect from God and their worldview. It's all connected. You, you got to understand that. Your worldview matters. And a biblical worldview begins with creation, which connects you to God. And then it, it understands that sin is us choosing to rebel against God, and it brought the curse. And that's why we've got all the junk in the world that we've got. But that God would not leave us there because of his love, and he sent his son Jesus here to bring salvation to us, which leads to the last plank, and that's restoration. The knowledge that God will make all things new again. He will make all things new again. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So that, that, that's where I want to start with this new thing God's doing. He's saying he will make us new again. We've all done what? Sin. So we're under the curse of sin. God won't leave us there. He sent Jesus here so that in 
Well, in who? In Christ, we can be made new. You see, when he made us new, there was no sin. He's going to bring us back to that place again, restore that newness of creation before sin messed it all up. He's going to make us new. How? In Christ. Because Christ paid the price for our sin so our sin can be removed. And if sin's removed, where does that leave us? Brand new without sin. That's where it leaves us. So, so God's plan all along was he knew we would sin. He knew he would have to pay the price with Jesus. But his plan is to restore us to that newest, that new creation in Christ. The old will be gone and the new will be here. Paul said in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ, did you hear that phrase again? Where, where do we have this newness? In Christ. So he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized, what? Into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I want to start with human beings because that's the most important part. The, the highest part of creation is, is humans made in the image of God. God made sure he had a plan where we could be made new again. The sin could be removed. We could be brought back to that new creation uh, that he made us to be. And it's done through Jesus Christ. And how do you go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ? It's by putting your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross and being baptized that takes you from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. You're baptized into Christ, which means you're clothed with Christ. Now, when you stand before God, who does he see? Christ. What does he see? The perfection of Christ, the holiness of Christ, because we're clothed with Christ. See, the difference. God wants to make us new. He wants the curse of sin to be taken off of you and off of me. And so he gave us Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross to make us new again. So that we appear before him as if we have no sin because of the covering of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Do you know how much sin you have in your life? How much sin I have in mine? And yet when God looks at me in Christ, what does he see? No sin at all. Isn't that amazing? That's why we should never take sin lightly again. It cost him everything to do that for us. We should never just accept sin as okay and not make a big deal out of it. It's a big deal when we willfully choose to go on sinning in our lives after what God's done for us. In our gratitude, we should treat sin as the enemy that it is. And embrace the righteousness that we have in Christ. But here's the thing about the restoration of God. I love this part too. We forget how much God loves the rest of creation too. We do. I mean, humans are the most valuable part of his creation. But he loves the world and everything in it too. He made it. In fact, the Bible says he made it for our enjoyment. All the good stuff that he made, he made it to bless us. He wants it to be a blessing to us and not a curse. We committed the sin that made some of that a curse to us. But God wants to restore all of his creation back to the blessing that he intended it to be. There are a lot of passages that deal with this. One of my favorite, I use it at a lot of funerals for Christ followers. It's found in Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1, where John's given a vision from, from God of things that were coming, things that were going to be. All right? And here's what he says. 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is the new restored place that God has for us, right? God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. In this new place, this this restored place that God has for us, God's going to be right there with us. We're going to be living in the presence of God himself. Right there with him. And I love this next part. Listen to this. We'll be his people. He'll, he'll be with them. He'll be our God. Then listen, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. The curse is gone. It's removed. And we don't get sick anymore. We don't die anymore. We don't have any struggles or any pain anymore. That's how God created us to start with. And he's going to put everything back. He's going to restore everything what he wanted it to be all along in spite of the fact that we messed it up. I love how he closes that, that section by saying this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these things are trustworthy and true. Friends, if that's your worldview, You can live with hope and excitement and anticipation, and you can embrace all that God has for you. But here's the thing. You will begin more than ever to take seriously the fact that God wants that for everyone else too. He didn't just die for you or for me. He just doesn't want to restore it for me personally. He wants to restore that for everyone in this world. The generations coming behind us, we need to pour into them like never before with all that they're hearing and being challenged by, so that they can have that hope in them too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that that in Christ, you're making everything new. We thank you that starting with us, you can make us new through Jesus. We're so sorry for our sins, Father, but we thank you that you provided the payment for our sins in your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for your love that you would do that for us. But Father, we know you're not wanting anyone to perish. You want everyone to come to repentance, to answer your call, to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Help us, Father, for someone today who needs to make that decision, that today they would accept what you've done for them through your Son. They would come in faith to him, to follow after him. They would be obedient and being baptized into Christ and putting Christ on themselves, being clothed with Christ moving forward, living that new life you've made for them as we eagerly anticipate the new order of creation that you're going to usher in when you come back. We look forward to that great reunion with those who've gone before us. We look forward to that existence in your presence without the curse of sin weighing down on us anymore. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.